It's episode seven or something of the Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. I'm Christine, and I'm on a phone. Christine's on a phone, yo. Not even with headphones. She does it old school. <laughs> it's holding up to my face. So I don't know how you're doing that. Later. <laughs> like, I get really uncomfortable when I have to do that, and then my face sweat gets on the phone, and it hits yep. numbers, and then every, the other person's like, what's that beep? And it's like, oh, that's my face sweat, and it gets very uncomfortable after that. Uh, yeah, we apologize if, if we don't sound as sexy as we normally do. We are having some We're technological sexier. woes. <laughs> we apologize if we sound too sexy. We do. Uh, on this episode, Christine, what are we covering? We're covering, um, from a year. 85. Silver bullet. 85. I don't have, so fun fact, my internet's not working. Um, so I can't look at internet right now. <laughs> So I'll seem significantly less intelligent. How is your encyclopedia um, collection? Is it in hand? Is it handy to you? Yes, I can read to you about um, sparrows and testicles. Excellent. That's it. Um, and so eighty-five, you said uh-huh. silver bullet. Silver bullet. Ninety-one. Yes. Um, people under the stairs. All right. So it is uh, two horror movies. It being October, and Christine uh, chose. Well, well. Wait, I chose People Under the Stairs. You paired it with Silver Bullet because there is a connecting thread that I thought was an accident. And I'm like, wow, what a coincidence. But Christine planned it all the time. It was pretty pretty well planned. (laughs) Well done, my lady. Well done. Now, before we start talking about these movies, why don't you tell your phone what movies you've been watching? You're doing that crazy 31 movies of October thing? Yes. How's that going? So today... To pull back the curtain, today's the 10th, mm-hmm. so we had successfully done 10 horror mm-hmm. movies, um, so we've d- we, we're doing it so far. Um, I have my list. I keep my list on Evernote. I can't access Evernote right now, <laughs> oh, no. so I'll have to just try to remember some things I've seen. Um, so recently, like Saturday, I went and saw The Girl on the Train. Okay. I loved it. Did you? I really like the book, and I really liked the movie. Interesting. I was thinking I may see the movie, but then other people... You're the first person I've heard to say you really liked it, because I know people mm-hmm. that loved the book, but I've decided I'm trying really hard to not read the book and watch the movie, because that keeps being bad for me. Yeah. Um, I thought it was great. I thought okay. it was... I just thought it was a great interpretation of of the book. I don't think it was like scene like scene for scene like there was stuff changed mm-hmm. and stuff like you can't do that or else your movie right. would be six Otherwise hours you're just translating and you're not adapting i thought it was good um zach hadn't read the book or didn't really even know that much about it and he enjoyed the movie so i mean i don't think it really matters yeah, if you're gonna like it you're gonna like it mm-hmm. so uh yeah 
um, Return of the Living Dead was on television. Nice. We watched that. I love that movie. Mm-hmm, that too. was one of the, the 31 days. Um, oh man, I, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be able to remember what my Netflix pick is either, and it was really good. And now I can't remember. Damn it. Um, what else did we watch? I feel like Boy, I, I'm blanking. Are you on letter? Should I pull up your letterbox profile? No, I don't. I don't. Up, I don't update it because there's no app. What good are you then? No, there is an app now. I think. By the way, oh, is there? I haven't used then it. I, I still just have it favorited on my phone as a website, so I just go there. But I think there is an app. Oh, if there was an app, I would use it. Um, yeah, I don't know. We watched. Oh, we rewatched the Sentinel. Love that movie. Nice. Um. Well, we watched Fright Night, and then we watched the Fright Night remake. Now, where do you stand on those? I like them both. Mm-hmm. Me too. They're, they're both good movies to me. Chris Sarandon is very hot in the original, I think. I think so, too. Very I sexy. love him. Oh, yes. So, so uh, as you know, he's in Sentinel as well. He is, yeah. No, I so, always, always had a crush on him. And I guess that probably started with Child's Play, and I didn't realize it until now. But still. Uh, and, you go. That's okay. It doesn't yeah, matter where it starts. Exactly. But it's really funny because we we have the Blu-ray, the Sentinel Blu-ray that came out somewhat recently, and um, so we watched the trailer for it. So that's a fun thing to do. Um, and they say his name, Chris Sarandon. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's weird, right? Yeah, that's weird. That does not make sense. <laughs> Um, I can't remember other things I've watched. Well, I know we um, were going to do some franchises. Did you do any franchises or no? No, not yet. We've been trying to keep it, like, loosey-goosey. Okay. Um, we watched something that was really good, and it's going to be my Netflix pick, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so there is something on Netflix Instant that you think is really good. That I think is amazing, but okay. who knows what I'm going to remember. Well, maybe right, one day we'll discover what it is. <laughs> Uh, okay, do you want, well, you know, we're going to do another episode this month. Hopefully by then we'll resolve technology woes. Who knows? Um, so should we just move to the four movies I watched this year, this month? Yes, please. All right, I am not doing 31 Days of October because I can barely squeeze in, like, an episode of Jeopardy a night before I go to bed. Um, so my, just a, a very small selection of movies that I've watched on Amazon Prime, uh, one being your, what I think was your Netflix recommendation or instant streaming recommendation last time, I watched Southbound. Oh, yay. I What'd really you think? enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm glad. I, I got my mom to, I got my mom to watch it and she wasn't crazy about it. Really? It's, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not mind blowing, but I think also like I love horror anthologies, but I've hated uh, this like the last like eight years of horror anthologies, yeah, because they've just been like, cycle like, of them, yeah, like this the VHS bro mm-hmm. style of of anthologies just being dudes being dicks and having a found footage camera and uh, getting comeuppance that you can't even see. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, as much as I like watching anthologies, I'm not always excited to watch new ones. Uh, but this was just really, it was good. Um, I thought, like, one story, like, stood out as being the best. I really liked this, the accident. 
with oh, it. Oh, yeah. That one was really upsetting. Yeah, huh? I thought that just, like, stood out to me as, like, this is great. And that's the one that's directed by the guy who did The, sig- the Signal, which I really liked. Uh, and check to see who any of the any of the directors uh, were. Yeah, it was um, the guys who did, like, the sort of wraparound, like, the opening and closing segment mm-hmm, did mm-hmm. one of the crappy VHS segments, um, which isn't saying much, but, like, not one of the worst ones, just one of the mediocre ones. Um, <laughs> there was the one with, like, the girl band was directed by a woman who was, like, oh, a I liked director. that one a lot, too. I did, too. Yeah, that's the one that gets, like, kind of weird with this sort of, like, 1950s-esque thing going on. Um, <laughs> I think that director hadn't directed anything else, but did, like, art direction on some of the VHS movies. <laughs> uh, and then... I th- one of the other guys directed something that I saw not that long ago and can't remember for the life of me. But anyway, uh, point being, it was pretty good. So I recommend yeah. it. Like Christine I, said. I, the more that you talk about it, the more I remember how much I liked it. Yeah. And it's it funny because I had like- heard nothing about this. And there's so many people in it that aren't big, but like there's so many people in it that you've seen in all of these other good yeah, horror movies. Yeah. Yeah, like there's yeah, one of the it, girls it, from Starry Eyes is in this. Like, there's just like yep. everybody looks familiar, and you're just like, oh yeah, because I saw them in another pretty good horror movie. Oh, so and good. I like, I like that it didn't function like a traditional. Well, like uh, like how some anthologies are very segmented. Yes, it, it it really did flow. Like it all lived in the same universe, and I really appreciated that. And it was interesting because it. I mean, there's no, I said wraparound, which is a little, I mean, it's a, it's misleading because it's not like tying everything together. It's just, it starts and ends with this one story, mm-hmm. but it's the, like each segment like flows into the next one very organically, but they don't feel jarringly like they're different movies. Like tonally it's very consistent, but you can see that you're watching different stories told by different people. But like you said, it's all in this one universe. So it's yeah. really, overall, it's really well done. And the more I think about it in the same way, I'm like, it's, yeah, it was much, it's much better than I was expecting. And I think um, than a lot of other anthologies, surprisingly. Yeah, it really is. I'm surprised it's not, more people aren't talking about it. Yeah, but so people who are looking for good things to watch in October, uh, Amazon Prime, Southbound. Uh, something that you should not watch on Amazon Prime in October is a movie that looks like it's going to be a horror movie. It's called Cruel with a K. You you might have seen the poster go by. It's like this teenager standing and there's a clown looking at her. Oh, jeez. And so like, you think like – and the synopsis is kind of like, you know, a babysitter um, – thinks that the ice cream man clown is stalking her and kidnapping children. You're like, okay, that's cool. This is actually a movie – like, and it's like – Looks like it's supposed to be a horror movie, but the majority of this movie is spent on this teenager, like, whose boyfriend cheated on her and her coming to terms with that. But meanwhile, like, there is this clown who kidnapped somebody and who's, like, trying to kill her, but this is just a strange – like, it feels like it should be a Lifetime movie. It 100% Hmm. feels like it was made for Lifetime, but somebody decided if we give it an ominous poster and pump up the music a little bit, we could call it a horror movie and sell it for more money or something. I don't know. Very odd. Not good. And you didn't like it. Yeah. I did not. Strange that you would describe it like that. I know, because when I said a a Lifetime (laughs) movie with a killer clown, like that kind of sounds like it was made for me. Uh, This isn't really. And as I'm saying that, I'm like, you know, like the lead actress was pretty good. Like it's, it had some redeeming qualities. It just, 
didn't make sense to bottle this and sell it as a horror movie. So yeah, there was that. And then I all, another movie on Amazon Prime that you probably shouldn't watch, but maybe you should. Night. Now you watched a movie called The Forest not that long ago, correct? Correct. I did too. But you know what? They were different? It was a different movie. Yeah, this was 1980, I think, 81, something like that. Uh, I'd never heard of this. It showed up on Amazon Prime, and I was curious. Uh, this is really bad. Uh, there's a, these people go camping in the woods. Meanwhile, there's this man who's been living in the woods with his children. Uh, mm. He's a cannibal. Like, he lives in the woods, and he just right. occasionally eats people because I guess he can't eat anything else but this movie is so is really it's very again this was made for mst3k like it's just um incompetent in it kind of every way like everybody's awful the actors that you're supposed to be rooting for are just like unlikable and have long sort of backstories but not and the there's a flashback about 90 minutes into this movie that is done so weirdly uh, where the cannibal discovers that his wife has been cheating on him. Like, this is a flashback to why he became a cannibal in the woods. And it's like, she's been cheating on him with the guy who came to fix the refrigerator. And she's, but like, her thing is that she just apparently always cheats on him with the mechanics. And so, like, he's like, so the guy who's, he catches her cheating with is like, I'm going to go fix the refrigerator. And he does. Like, it's not him saying that to run away. Like, no, he goes and fixes the refrigerator, and then the cannibal kills him. So it's just one of those really odd movies that's not good. Is it a joke movie? No, it didn't mean to be. Uh, you Maybe you you could watch it with when your friends do bad movie night. You might get a kick out of it. Oh, really? This is a good one. So it's called The Forest? The Forest, yeah. Nobody like you've ever idea. seen, and you will probably never see again, is in it. Um... But it does have like a theme song. Oh, well, that seems right up your alley. Of the forest, and that's exactly how it's sung. So watch it for your next bad movie night and tell me what you think. Oh, well, thank you for that recommendation. Of course. Uh, and then the last thing I watched, which was not a horror movie, um, was a Netflix disc. If you can believe it, they still oh, make them. Oh <clears throat> 1986's On the Edge with um, Bruce Stern. So this, mm-hmm. I had heard about this, and like actually I learned about it in a interview in Runner's World with Bruce Stern, and then when on uh, the projection booth, Mike White had Bruce Stern on for an interview a year ago or so, and Bruce Stern talk, talks a lot about this movie because uh, it is a movie about um, a man in his forties who, you know, twenty years earlier was an elite athlete who could have gone to the Olympics, was a long distance runner. And sort of due to some political things that went down, it got banned from competitive running. And so now he's in his 40s and he decides he is going to run this like crazy ultra marathon that goes through like the, you know, the forests of cannibals in California. Uh, And of course, he's kind of banned from running, so he's not supposed to do it. But it's all about him, you know, kind of deciding to do it. And the movie's it's good. It's okay. Bruce Stern's great. But damn it, this is like the last 20 minutes of this movie, Christine, are like the most inspiring 20 minutes you have ever seen in any film ever. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't expect you to take such a sincere turn with that statement. Yeah, because he gets to the race and the race officials realize he's there and they're trying to get him 
uh, kicked out. They're trying to have, you know, they're having like officials go and like try to grab him and pull him out of the race. And then the other runners are like, no, we're going to protect you. And they start like forming a wall around him. And it just, the ending, like the final few moments where the race ends and I'm not spoiling anything, but like, like even if you're not a runner, even if you're not an athlete, like I think you will have tears in your eyes because it's just this beautiful cheesy but earnest and wonderful moment of sportsmanship and glory wow yeah that took that took a turn i wasn't expecting yeah well i'm earnest what can i say you are earnest yeah um so yeah anybody who i think um any runner will enjoy it but i think if you're looking for a different kind of inspirational sports movie i think this is a good choice for you you know, I am a sucker for inspirational sports mm-hmm. movies, even though I don't like sports and I hate inspiration. But yet, when you combine them together, they make something Love beautiful. It. Love it. I can see that, yeah. Oh, I watched the Amanda Knox documentary. Oh, that was I've heard too. good things about it. <laughs> Remembering things. That's me. <laughs> uh, what did you think? I liked it a lot. Okay. Um, Zach said he thought it was a little, I don't know amateurish the way it was filmed okay but i i thought it was very effective so two different opinions well make of that what you will listeners are you gonna believe the lady or the gentleman believe me i'm i'm I'm, i know better i thought it was good you should watch it i just might uh did you remember anything else no (laughs) okay (laughs) I have no idea. I guess the movies are really making an impression on you, huh? Such a long list, too. I know. Because I I mean, you've gone, it had to be at least 10 by now. Because I've done this entire thing, and I had some from before we hit October. Yeah, no, we had had like a good week in September where you have to own up to. I have remembered four things. Well, I'm proud of you for that. Thank you. On that note, I guess, why don't we just take a break? Uh, so we're just diving in. Like we said to people, we know that um, our audio isn't up to snuff, so we're just going to ride this thing out. Uh, take a quick break and come back and talk about 1985 Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet with the wolves. Want to win something spooky this Halloween? Then enter the Drive-In Horror Show Ghoulish Stories Giveaway. Three grand prize winners will be picked at random. Each winner receives an exclusive limited edition book of the Drive-In Horror Show Ghoulish Stories. Each prize pack also includes a signed Drive-In Horror Show soundtrack LP, a comic book, and collectible pins. Entry is free and each entrant wins a prize. Ghoulish Story Trading Cards. Each card features a custom-made cover from one of our stories. You only have until October 30th to enter, and the three grand prize winners will be chosen on Halloween. Enter at driveinhorrorshow.com if you dare. 1985 Silver Bullet with a screenplay by Stephen King. Uh, directed by Asterix, uh, Daniel Atticus is the man who gets the directing credit, uh, but apparently much of this may have been originally directed by uh, Don Coscarelli, 
who had some disagreements with Dino De Laurentiis, who was producing, either walked off or got fired. Not sure if he, how much footage he shot or if this was all mostly uh, Atticus. Not quite sure. However, I would like to say Daniel Atticus, um, this is his only film. However, he's worked continuously in television since then. Uh, directed stuff for the, for Lost, for The Wire, Buffy, big director. Oh, um, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. Uh, and two like good episodes of Buffy, too. Um, like any TV show he's, he's worked on. But for me, the thing that really makes me think this guy was special, not that he directed a bunch of episodes of Beverly Hills 90210, but that he directed the two-parter high school graduation of the oh, class of 1993, which means, Christine, he directed mm-hmm. Donna Martin Graduates. Okay, that means nothing. It means everything to some people. So, Clearly. Tell me, you who okay. have seen this movie before. Of uh, course. Yeah, tell me about Silver Bullet. What's it about? Well, it is about... Um, Corey Haim, mm-hmm. and he's in a wheelchair. He is, and he has a sister. He does, and he has an uncle. <laughs> yes, he does. And there's a werewolf, and he has to kill the werewolf because not many people believe there is a werewolf, and it's picking off the townspeople. Yes, that's pretty succinct. That's that is yeah. Well, you missed one important detail about uh, Corey Haim's character, Marty. What? Well, how would you describe him? Sassy? <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> but he he is maybe confined to a wheelchair. I said that. Did you? Yeah. I, but, you know. <laughs> that's the only descriptor I used. I thought the only descriptor was Corey Haim. I missed that. Um, <laughs> you just want to make sure you really know he's in a wheelchair. It's really like, important, guys. Real, real. Just, you know, we are an ableist society, and this is not an ableist hero. However, this kid, like, I get that, you know, if, like, you know, a three-legged dog can use his three legs really well. And somebody who is um, paraplegic probably has really strong upper arm strength because they've, you know, you have to use, you you make do and you compensate and then you're going to build different muscles. But like, dude, Marty crawls outside of his window, climbs down a ladder and sneaks out in the middle of the night. Could you do that if you were 10 years old and only had feeling in your, from your waist up? Maybe. I mean, less to lug around. Yeah, I suppose. It's impressive. It is impressive. So, Marty uh, threw... There's also narration to this movie. Yeah, I always thought that was weird. The sister narrates. Yeah, and what's funny, too, is the... I'm listening to the voice. I'm like, I know that voice. And at first, I thought it was the same voice as the narrator in Flowers in the Attic. I was wrong, but I do know that voice. The voice, it is uh, Tova Feldsha who's a uh, big stage actress, um, but you might know her. She was, I forget, do you watch Walking Dead? Um, I watched, like, the first season. Okay, if you watched it, like, last year, she was, had a big part. She was the woman in, like, the architect of the Alexandria compound thing. Uh, Long-standing, like, Broadway actress and stuff. 
Uh, so she's narrating, and I didn't think about this, but somebody did point it out. It might have even been the Roger Ebert review. This movie takes place in 1976. I don't really know why. Maybe that's when the book is set, and maybe they like were trying to go on like a bicentennial thing. But like, it really yeah. makes, d- there's no reason for this to be set nine years before 1985. Um, so the weird thing is that. The narrator is the sister is narrating, and the yep. sister is narrating as like a grown up, and, and like Tova Felcha, who is a very mature voice. So, is she narrating in the future? Yes. Okay. Because that was really bothering me. Um, it's as and as a child, um, I always hated that. Okay. I Were you bothered by why. the fact that she just shouldn't have been that old in the, as her voice? No, I was just bothered because I never felt like it was her story, so I didn't know why she was narrating, and it never wrapped around in a way that made me understand that. Yeah, it's a very odd choice. Now, I haven't read the book. loves his narration, so one thing... She was just narr- she was just the narrator of the book, and maybe it made more sense. Uh, did, have you read the book? Nah. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, so I don't. Maybe that's it. I don't. I don't not understand using a narrator, especially in the eighties, especially it being Stephen King, and especially a movie like this where I think. It's aimed at a young. It's whether intentional or not. This is a this is a sleepover party horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like this is a great starter movie for kids. I think if you were trying to get your son or nephew into horror, uh, I feel like this is a pretty good starting point mm-hmm. because it's about a kid, right? You're for whatever reason he's not narrating, but your protagonist <laughs> is a child. And it stuff gets, I mean, whatever your definition of scary is kind of depends on your tolerance for crappy werewolf effects. Yes. Um, Yeah, I grew up watching this movie. I've seen it dozens of times. Um, So, yes, I can attest to what you're saying. Yeah. I could see it. It's it's innocent in a way. It is, it, it is, but it is creepy enough for, like, a younger person. Mm-hmm. Now, in general, where do you stand on werewolves? Well, I don't believe in them. <gasps> you say that now, just wait until next week or whenever the next full moon is. <laughs> um, I... So I know people, and I, I think we know some of the same people that are, like, super into werewolves. And, like, they seek out werewolf cinema. I've never had that reaction. Is American Werewolf a good movie? Absolutely. Is The Howling a good movie? Sure. (laughs) Are there other good movies with wolves and werewolves? Yeah. Dog Soldiers? Great. But I would never be like, oh, I love werewolf cinema. No, I feel that way. Yeah. That being said, this pretty solid um, werewolf movie for me because I've seen it so many fucking times. So for me with werewolves, in theory, I get why people love them because they're a great tool. They're a great metaphor, all that stuff. We did the Company of Wolves a while back and like it's a great metaphor for female sexuality and for all this stuff. My problem is (laughs) on camera, they always look so fucking stupid. 
Yes. Sometimes they look good. <gasps> okay, one time they look good. <laughs> yeah, American and we're Girls always in chasing London that. Looks great. Looks great. We're the transformation's beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even Dog Soldiers, I think, is a really fun movie. I wish it wasn't about va- uh, werewolves because I feel like I'm into that movie. And then whenever a werewolf shows up, I'm like, oh. Yeah, uh, you're kind of out. Yeah, I just think I don't know what it is about them. And it's like CGI isn't the answer because that's even worse, oh, usually. Oh, yes. And I mean, there's practical effects that look and some of the werewolf stuff in this looks okay um one of the transformation scenes actually i thought looked really good but as soon as like and when if this movie i think could have been like could have done been something very different if you saw a paw instead of a werewolf if you saw a tooth instead of a werewolf face and apparently that was a big source of contention between both stephen king and don coscarelli and um Dino De Laurentiis, who wanted to show the werewolf, and the other two were like, no, no, you shouldn't do that. And then uh, Daniel Atticus was stuck with that werewolf and was like, oh, I guess I have to show the shitty werewolf. And it's, Yeah, he kind of looked like a big teddy bear. He did! He was a teddy bear with teeth that you wouldn't want, like, it's like with my cat. It's, you know, my cat has sharp teeth, so you just don't want him to bite you, but if he bites you, you just shake him off. Yeah, it's like, oh, Yeah. Uh, so it's just one of those, and I, and I won't even say like, oh, it's because of it's 1985. No, werewolves still look really shitty on camera. No, it's, it's tough to get right. And you're right. Um, CGI is not, is not making it better. Um, I've seen plenty of CGI werewolf movies. I can't remember the name of that. that It looked embarrassing. Yep. I mean, I guess part of it may be for the, from the practical standpoint, the challenge being, how do you not make it look like a guy in a suit? Which, again, I mean, you have masterful visual effects people, but I think because it's always going to be a guy in a suit, it's like you don't have the movement that you get of a wolf. Yeah. But then when you try to CGI it, it just looks so unnatural. Like a cartoon wolf. Yeah, that there's just never... You know, again, it it's a hard, hard thing to pull off, man. It's a hard thing. And, you know, I mean, Silver Bullet is obviously all about a single werewolf hunting people. And, I, you know, they could have jawsed it. I wish they'd jawsed it and just given yeah. you glimpses of it. But they didn't. And so it's okay. Um, my husband thought I would hate this movie. He'd, he'd seen really? it. He's like, oh, you're not going to like it. Uh, really? Yeah, and I think part of it he knows is that I'm just, uh, you know, where I stand on werewolves. Um, yeah. But I think for me, I just very quickly felt like I was watching a movie aimed at me when I was 10 years old, not me now. Mm-hmm. And so for that, it's kind of charming. Yeah, well, that's when I, I mean, that's the me that saw it. Yeah. So I can never remove the fact that, like... I was, you know, uh, that age watching mm-hmm. this. You know, it would come on television constantly. I'm yeah. so surprised you never caught it on TV. I don't know how I never did. It was always, it was always on, and every time, no matter what part it was at, I ended up watching it. Mm-hmm. So, so this is a movie I've seen out of order a bunch, yep. <laughs> and like I don't know how I would react to it if I didn't have that nostalgia. Yeah, I could see that. 
Uh, I mean, there's things about it that like just do really work. I like the brother sister relationship. Yeah, they're really cute. Yeah, and they and feel like Cole they're content. Like they really argue, they bicker, like they tease each other, but like they love each other, and it's very clear. Mm-hmm. And even just the sister kind of feeling put upon because she knows she's always going to have to kind of take a backseat to her brother because you know her brother is in a wheelchair. Like it's not it it it's not done to make her bratty. It's just you know it's it's put out there that like yeah this is something that makes life hard for her. Uh. The there was one thing in this movie that I like really loved, which is when uh, Gary. So Gary Busey, we should talk about Gary Busey in this movie. Uh, Christine, we have to yes. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, uh-huh. how hard would you do Gary Busey in this movie? Not at all. Oh, sure you wouldn't, Christine. Sure you would. Um, he's really. Something else in this movie, huh? <laughs> I mean, he is, or he's just Gary Busey in this movie. <laughs> really, for him to be being Gary Busey I in a movie so too, but I think this might have been the start of that. Oh, jeez! <laughs> like, I apparently he did a lot of his own dialogue, and like he like cleared it with the director, and the director cleared it with Stephen King. It's like, hey, Gary wants to do his own dialogue, and Stephen King's like, yeah, I guess so. And so Gary Busey is just doing his Gary Busey thing. Yeah, you can totally tell. It's just him hanging out with Corey Haim half yeah. the time. Uh, and it's again, like, it's sweet though. And something that I loved is there's a scene where, um, so Gary Busey's sister is Corey Haim's mother. And she kind of chides him and says, I don't want you drinking in front of Marty. And he's clearly, like, kind of a functioning alcoholic. Like, you know, he always drinks. It's just one of those guys who just always has a beer in his hand. And, he, you know, he's kind of trying to defend himself and say, like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not telling him to do it. It's like, you know, I'm not going to get violent. I'm not going to do anything. And she's like, and she explains why. She says, um... You know, he has so many odds stacked against him. And I'm so worried that one day when he's an adult and he's alone and this is just like all of this has continued to pile up, that one day he's going to give up. And it's so it will be so much easier for him to do that if he, you know, has grown up with somebody like you who's given up. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a really like small moment that just really deepened everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, there's some good stuff. Like like you said, the relationship between Corey Haim mm-hmm. and his sister is really good. Yeah. Um, the, she's likable. He's likable. He's very good in this. Yeah. Um, for all his drinking a gigantic bottle of um, wild turkey in front of a kid-ness, <laughs> he's really good in it. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's um, fun. And he's it's, having for fun. For me, it's a... It's a it's a very charming Stephen King movie, which doesn't happen for me a lot. I'm usually really aggravated and bored by his Stephen Kingisms. Mm, okay, they feel they feel old to me a lot of the time. Probably because I've seen stuff and read stuff, and like, yeah, I get it. This is what he does, and it's right. not. Wow, really we're in Maine. Like, okay. Yeah, it's not. Re- Really, for me, I don't feel like it's my thing, so it's tough for me. If it's not my thing, like in a book, then why would it be my thing on the screen? So, but this, I don't know. There's some good stuff in this. Yeah, yeah, it it works, and I think it's part of it's the energy of and chemistry of the actors, uh, and 
You know, and I think it's uh, King did do the screenplay, and I think he he wrote it really wisely. And from what I understand, a lot there are big differences from the book as far as the pacing and the character focuses and some other things. And it does feel like the kind of screenplay where he was able to take his property and say, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need this. Here's the heart of the story. That's what I'm going to tell. Mm-hmm. And so it works well. What doesn't work is really, it's it's the scary stuff and yeah. just kind of the werewolf. I mean, it's again, scary. yeah. And uh, Brandon and I have a rule about decapitations on screen, which is the rule is never show the head unless you want people to laugh. Mm-hmm. Yep. It just can't, I mean, you know, even when you're, cutting off your favorite character's head on Game of Thrones, as soon as somebody picks up a head, it's funny. You can't not laugh. And so, you know, we get a beheading very early on in the film that, of course, I'm like, <laughs> uh-oh. Um, we get an angry mob. We Oh, the mob. The mob is so, like, it is pure Simpsons angry mob. Really comical. All the angry there, townspeople picking up like pickaxes and signs and going to be angry. Do you feel like it's intentionally humorous or it's all unintentional humor? It's an excellent question. Funny. I don't know. That's kind of funny. The the mob is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh I agree. And I I think I'm gonna go. I'm going to, uh, you know, give a little credit to Stephen King and say intentional. Uh, I can see that. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, he was, it's 1985. So, I mean, he he's on a, he's sniffing a little bit of cocaine at the moment. Um, but at the same time, I, he had a pretty good feel for uh, certain, you know, tropes and, you know, ta- angry townspeople, I think is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think because they are kind of so over the top especially when they actually go out hunting the werewolf and the way that goes down it being kind of so ridiculous i am i would not bet money on it perhaps i would bet imaginary money on it uh with my imaginary money i'm gonna say intentional yeah i could see it Mm -hmm. uh bear trap i love a good bear trap boy yep uh Another thing that I, like, again, makes me wonder, was it intentional or not, is some of the kind of townspeople, like, when you talk about the neighbor who, one of the early neighbors to die, who's kind of southern, and I don't know if he's supposed to be, or if it's just, like, no, you tell me, you grew up in New England, do some people just have southern accents? No, were they in New England in this? I think they were supposed to be in Maine, but I might just be saying that because it's a Stephen King movie. I'm not sure. Okay. There are woods. Yeah. It, <laughs> and a covered bridge. It felt like one of those cases where everybody was, you know, we're like, we're setting at New England, except Gary Busey is Gary Busey. So he's from the planet of Gary Busey. And like the one, um, you know, the, the redneck is like a literal redneck who has a Southern accent kind of thing Yeah, where it, it just, one of those things that felt a little lazy, but am I yeah, really I know exactly who you mean? Yeah. Too. You're completely spot on. Right. Like he was like Jenny's dad and Forrest Gump. Like that's what he felt like he was the inspiration <laughs> for. Um, the, and some of the, like, again, I don't think it was intentional, but the, well, the music is, is very odd because the music's very, it's not odd. It's very of its time. It's very whimsical at times. 
like this reminded me a lot of um the lady in white where which i still never seen you've never seen uh it's oh, lady in white is fascinating because it's I mean, it's kind of like this, where it's a movie that's sort of a horror movie made for kids, but has a lot of really adult themes to it, and doesn't feel like a movie that, you know, a kid would sit down and watch, or should really sit down and watch on his own without an adult, like, explaining things. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that it, where they all kind of play for me is there's, like, this Spielbergness about the music. Yeah. Where the movie seems to, like, as much as it's about werewolves, it's also kind of in love with the idea of, like, being a kid and riding your wheelchair through town and all that. So you get this very, like, very uh, sweet instrumental music going on, and then you get a werewolf. Yeah, I don't like that. You don't like what? The kind of mix of it? Yeah, the the mixy mix of it. Like, if Corey Haim wasn't as charming as he is, it would be almost unbearable, that stuff. Oh, I'd agree. Yeah, with a lesser child actor, uh, this would have been very painful. Because he yeah. does have to pull a lot of weight here. Like He I mean, really he, does. Yeah, he's he's holding he the film for much of it. A lot. Like, he's by, he's by himself, like, yep. in scenes quite a bit. So, like, he really does some work, which is great. But, like... I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's there. It has its faults, but then like, so my one of my favorite scenes is, um, is a funeral or like a service that turns in that ends up being like like a fever dream. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, that is burned into my brain. There are visuals in this movie that are stuck in my brain because there are parts of it that are filmed really well and yeah. framed really interestingly. Yep. Well, um, and and that nightmare is 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 memorable. Like it's a really, it's probably the scariest scene in the film, and it's the one that feels more like a horror movie than almost anything else in this movie. And, and then once it kind of leads to a reveal. Uh, which, so do you remember the first time you watched it? Like, did you suspect anything or were you just? I don't know. I don't know if the first time I watched it, I ever watched it. Uh, like Memory. I had watched it from the beginning. Right. Like I, I, I know that I always knew who it was. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as I was able to know that I knew and I tried to watch it this time, not knowing, like uh-huh. pretend like it- know and see if like they laid groundwork and stuff yep. and they kind of do they they kind of make you think it's terry o'quinn at one yes, point we should mention terry o'quinn shows up terry o'quinn is <laughs> john Locke is here supervising um, the town yeah i they they kind of make you think it's him i don't know they they, they put some they have some things out there zach kept saying they they're making you think it's gary Busey. Well, just because, I mean, Gary Busey might actually be a werewolf. I, th- I think that's... That know. was unintentional. Exactly. Yeah, it's, I wasn't watching it thinking I had to figure it out. And then uh, Brandon sees me watching it. He's like, oh, did you figure out who it is? I'm like, oh, no, but I guess it's this guy, right? And, I mean... Because I mean, it's not really presented as a, as a whodunit. It's not, no. And as soon as something, like, there is a fantasy of sorts where i think that's the reveal to me 
Right, and, then, and I said that. I said this is the reveal, and then the person who was watching it with me was like, "Was it though?" And I was like, "I think it right, was." Because then, because the characters who are investigating don't know, don't see that. Yeah. So it's it's a dramatic irony, if you will. It's a reveal to the audience, but not to the characters. Uh, and I wonder it if it's if that's supposed to be a reveal or if that's just supposed to be a hint. Um, but it, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, oh well, if they didn't want it to be revealed, then then they did that wrong. But it yeah. doesn't matter much, I think. And even, and I think that's a that is another place where this movie could have pushed further. Because the identity of the werewolf, there's a lot that uh, could be explored there. And there's a hint of that, um, but not, it, you know, it, it could have been deeper. It could have been, uh, it could have meant more, I guess. But instead it just kind of becomes, well, now the werewolf knows that these kids are after them and the werewolf is going to go after the kids. Yeah. Um, should we discuss who the werewolf is? I mean, I guess so we I can. can explain I, well, what I mean a little more. Yeah, I don't like it. Like, okay, so first of all, this is from 1985. So if you haven't seen it, um, you should probably see it if you have any interest. Mm, it if is, uh, it's not streaming for free, but it's like $4 to rent on Amazon Prime or the I, DVD costs $5. Yeah, I paid a little bit to do it through Amazon. Um, if, you feel like knowing who it is is going to ruin the movie for you, then I guess don't listen. And also like, don't Google it. Like don't, because you'll find an image that's very telling about the movie. Yeah, it's like, they're not they're not fucking around. Like, it, it, this is an old movie that has right. a dude in it that, that's a werewolf. Spoiler, <laughs> it's a dude. Yeah, so spoiler, the werewolf is, of course, Everett McGill as the priest. Ooh. Yeah. Did you just meow um, as if you're trying to I, tell me something? I love him. He's he's great. So much do I love him. So I love him in this movie, and I think that this is probably one of the reasons why I have a priest fascination. <laughs> um, oh, please tell me more. No, it's just a fascination. Um, well, and you were not he, raised Catholic, right? I well, I'm baptized and all like, that. Did fun you do your stuff. communion and all that fun stuff? Yeah, I didn't. I got close. I didn't actually do it. I went to like a couple of them classes, but I don't know. Never <laughs> graduated. Parents, dropped out. The, the crackers are pretty good. Care. I'll say that much. My parents didn't care, but I've been to like a ton of Catholic funerals and some okay. weddings and shit. But like, I don't know. So did you ever so, have to confess to a priest? No, I don't do that. It sucks. Seems yeah. weird. It, it's such a weird thing. Like, and as as a kid watching movies, I I always thought like, oh, actually, I kind of like the idea of it because it's almost like you're going to a free psychiatrist, right? You sit in a booth, uh-huh. the priest is like in a window, so you're not like looking at him, and you can be like, yeah, so here's what I did today. But in like at least at the church I went to when I was a kid, it's not like that. Like, you have to go into a room, and the priest is just sitting there looking at you. He's like, so what'd you do? And you're like, ah. Uh. I was going to tell you about things, but now that you're looking at me, I'm not. It's like the, it doesn't I, seem fun. Yeah, like I had to do confession like twice in my life as a kid, and I think both times I just made something up. So I'm, I was probably oh, going to hell anyway long before I was decided I wasn't a Catholic. But anyway, so you have a priest fetish. No, I never said that. I you said I have a, a vague interest. Uh-huh. But anyway, she's great in this movie. Yes. And he, like... 
I guess if you don't know it's him, you wouldn't know it's him. He's pretty, like, in the background. He, he's just, one like, of those actors, too, that, you know, he's he's so identified with playing a bad guy that as soon yeah. as you see him, you're like, oh, there's a very good chance it's him. And he is, I like that he is there from the beginning, so you're right, he is always in the background. Yeah, because it could have been any of these archetypes archetypical figures in the town like could be the sheriff it could be the exactly yeah the loudmouth guy at the bar yelling but they do like i guess there's one thing where like he is the one that's trying to disperse the mob but i don't think he knows he knows he's a werewolf at that point right i don't know i think he always knows maybe he does yeah yeah because when he talks about killing the first the first victim that we see him kill was a woman who was pregnant who was going to kill herself and he yeah. kind of says, well, I, I saved her from damnation because I killed her. She didn't kill herself. He's really fast and loose with those rules. He is. And that's something that I think is such a shame because that would have been really cool if he did like have he, those rules. If he was the Dexter of werewolves. Yes. If the Dexter werewolf Dexter. I want oh, that spinoff I'm, right now. I'm, I'm pitching a new television Do it. show. They've talked about rebooting it. Now they have a theme. Uh but when, like, the idea that he was killing, because he kills off, you know, the, the, the woman that was going to kill herself, he kills off the, you know, um, I'm calling her Forrest Gump's Jenny's father, who mm-hmm. I think was kind of seen as kind of a jerk. I think in the book, suppose, like, he, it is clear that he's molesting his daughter. And he kind of seems like a bad guy, like, he's kind of a dick. So, yeah. you know, but then he kills a kid. Like, the, it's the kid who's um, uh, Bill's little brother in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, actually. So, oh, really? You know, his moral compass doesn't isn't consistent, but it could have been really cool if it was, and if he really was trying to plead, like he wasn't just trying to kill Marty because Marty found him out, but that he was actively trying to like convince him, no, I'm doing like I'm good, I'm doing this for the good. Exactly. It, you know, it just turns into like, oh, bad werewolf, we got to kill him. And I mm-hmm. think it could have been really interesting if they explored, especially when you're dealing with priests who are so repressed and. You could have made it a symbol of that. When we talk about all of these metaphors of werewolves, that's a great one. A priest that can't ever, you know, uh, express himself. And so, but he does as a werewolf. Like, you know. Yeah, I know. But it doesn't go anywhere near that. No, not at all. It just becomes the priest is now the werewolf is chasing him down. And, it, you know, it's just okay. I mean, the finale is very brief. Um, it, yeah, it's anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, for me, it's all the preamble and the lead up, and then figuring out who's missing an eye, and then then it just it just and then winds it just shows us there. the guy missing an eye and gives us the most dramatic sound cue you have ever heard in a movie to make sure we know that he's missing an eye. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and then and then the next scene I think is when he kills the sheriff and he turns into werewolf and. Like, he's a werewolf, and you know what he does? He beats the sheriff to death with a oh, fucking yeah. baseball bat. I love it. I love it. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, that is ridiculous. Because he's a werewolf. He shouldn't need a baseball bat. Well, sometimes you gotta Giant be werewolf girl. hands. Those are like baseball bats. They are. They're like tree trunks. Exactly. <sighs> so, it's... It's funny because I'm like, I feel like now I'm talking myself out of liking the movie. Not out of liking the movie, but like now I'm seeing more of, um, because I didn't think this was a great movie by any means, but I enjoyed it. 
and yeah. now as I'm talking more about it, I'm like chipping away at some of the things that really feel missed. Oh yeah, there's a ton of missed opportunities, and it's it's never really any one thing, right. and and that's to its detriment. Yep. It's not a coming of age tale. It's not a werewolf story. It's not an interesting mix of the two, you know, like metaphor and stuff. Yeah, and then when you think of the way the the narration ends at the end, it's very like uh, it's so dramatic in a way because it's her mm-hmm. kind of saying, you know, I always, you know, it's finally I knew I really did love my brother or something. And like she's the way she's talking, it sounds like it's going to end and we're going to see her standing over his funeral in 1985 or something. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, it, you're right. It, it doesn't I think it could have been – it should have done one of two things. It should have gone younger and been more kind of monster squatty and kind of really been, yeah, yeah. like you're saying, a coming like, of age tale. Yeah, like a kid – like a really like a kid hunting down a werewolf. Right, like, uh, like um, whatchamacallit? Why can't I think of the name of it? What's the vampire version of this? Lost Boys. Scooby-Doo. Lost Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Scooby-Doo and the Lost Boys. <laughs> I'm just coming up with million dollar ideas. You tonight. are. This is what happens when you don't have a computer in front of you. I love it. Uh, it. I mean, I maybe it would have been a little. Well, Lost Boys is before or after this. I I really oh, don't it's know. Kinda, what it's after because Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. No, it's Corey Feldman. It's around the same time. Anyway, point being, it could have gone a little <laughs> younger and been more like Frog Brothers hunting. Mm-hmm. Or. It could have gone a little more like what's the um the like and I I don't want to spoil a I can't there's there's a really good giallo that um is a Fulci giallo that kind of does what I would have liked this movie to do but I can't say the name because I don't want to spoil a key thing about that movie. Uh, I want to know though. Well, I'm afraid if I say the title, then you're going to know who the killer is of that movie, and that would be a shame. New York Ripper. No, okay. uh, I'll tell you that much. No, so. I don't even- if this did more of a exploring the priest and what it means to be a priest who's a werewolf and maybe making that into a deeper metaphor, that could have been really cool. Instead, it's a mashup. <laughs> Which, as I'm saying that, many similarities in thematically and otherwise between this and the next movie we're going to talk about, People Under the Stairs, uh, including a little bit of that and a little bit of the kind of tonal uh two two ways the tone goes and whether that was the right decision or not if you will um i will argue that this is nowhere near the tonal um i don't know mess that the other one is oh okay this is gonna be interesting uh it's it's not the other one when we get to people under the stairs the tonal mix up is very much tone where this one, I think, is very much more overall movie, which, what were you going for? What audience yeah, for were you sure. going for? It's got, arguably, it's got an even tone. It's just right. got a a weird, watered-down, mishmashy storyline. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, I'm glad I watched it, because I, I, I did enjoy it much more than I thought I would. I am never excited to watch a werewolf movie. Uh, just because I'm always expecting the worst in many different ways. And this entertained me a lot, even if I have a lot of issues with it. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's something. Yeah. Uh, do you have more to say or should we wrap this one up and move on? Mm, 
I don't think so. I will say I know nostalgia is going to color my grading. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's my one cat of my feels very strongly about that. Oh wow! Sorry, her, she was very intensely meowing. Calm down, Please. Angelique. Then I then it won't. Um, this is one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations, but I never read the book, so maybe it's actually a terrible adaptation. <laughs> Um, this is one of the only movies I really like Corey Heyman. Mm. Um, like about three days after I watched this, I had a really weird dream that me and a young Gary Busey were married. <gasps> wow. That's all I have to add. I'm just, I'm just imagining the possibilities there. So it was, and Zach had asked me to clarify what I meant by that. What I mean by young is he was young, like Buddy Holly young, but like blonde still. Like, okay. very blonde. but So he wasn't Buddy Holly, but he wasn't old and bloated. Hmm. So there you go. Because he's a little bloated like in this movie. I, I kind of like him old and bloated. I'm fine with him old and bloated. I also think he's adorable as Buddy Holly. I just don't know why I had that dream. Yeah, well, I, th- I think this movie might have been why you had that dream. <laughs> well, <laughs> just, maybe. Just throwing that out there. I'm not psychic or anything. I'm not a Whatever werewolf priest, later. but I can sense things, you know. <laughs> All right, so let's grade it then. Quality of film. Um, 6.75. I was going to go 6. Really? Yeah, All I right. mean, it's, you know, it's it, it's right in the average for me. Tiny mm-hmm. bit better than average, which technically would be a 5. But as a film, uh, yeah, I'm standing by 6. All right, there's that damn nostalgia. Yeah, quality of life. Seven. I was also going to go seven. Because I did enjoy this far more than I thought I would. I had problems. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I was entertained throughout. Um, Good. Part of it was, I think, kind of some of the goofiness, some of the nostalgia, even though I don't have nostalgia for this movie, just the nostalgia of this being a 1985 Stephen King kid horror adaptation. Yeah. Um, part of that's Gary Busey. <laughs> And then part of that really is the sort of touches of depth that it had that I really appreciated. So that, our friends, was Silver Bullet. Now we are going to uh, take go a few years into the future, or now 25 years. Oh, my God. I saw people under the stairs 25 years ago, Christine. Why did you even bother doing that? Because <laughs> I'm a you... horrible human being. That That's it... upsetting. I did that You math, saw right, that. Right? Like, there's a, there's a kid, there's a person somewhere married with multiple children, the same amount of age that, that you were when you, yeah, this is a long time there's ago. There's a person who's already voted, like, who already voted in an election and is voting again. The like... personification of that amount of time. God. All right. On that note, uh, take a break. Come back for people under the stairs. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. B5. The big bad wolf. Uh, The big bad wolf. Yeah. Come on. The big bad wolf. B5. Yeah, 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 yeah. Long ago, there were three little pigs. Little hands and piggy wigs For the big bad wolf The very bad big bad wolf They didn't give three things Number one man he liked to play So we built his house and hate 
with a hey toot toot And he blew on his flute And he played around all day Now let's ride Who's afraid of the big bad wolf The big bad wolf The big bad wolf Who's afraid of the big bad wolf We ain't afraid y'all We ain't afraid huh? Who's afraid of the big bad wolf The big bad wolf The big bad wolf Who's afraid of the big bad wolf We ain't afraid y'all We ain't afraid huh? So again, 25 fucking years ago, Wes Craven comes to the theaters with the people under the stairs. Yes. Uh, Written and directed, I believe, by Wes Craven. I'm obviously directed, but I think he also wrote it. He did. I think he did, yeah. Uh, Now, I had seen it in the theaters, and I don't know that I'd ever watched it since, but I remembered almost everything about it. Yeah, I'm sure I caught bits of it on TV. But I have no memory of ever sitting down beginning to end and watching this again. Wow. Yeah, just one of those things. Uh, and you'd seen it a few times over the years, right? Yeah. Um, I We, as a family, got it on VHS pretty nice. soon after it came out. I knew who Wes Craven was at that point, so I had very high hopes. Um I have seen this movie many times. I equate it very closely with Silver Bullet in my head. That's probably why I paired them together. They're real. I mean, I'm, it's such a good pairing because there's so many things that connect these two. Yeah. Um, I as much so I don't want to get too far into this, but as much as I would never say that I like this movie. I've seen it way too much and consistently enjoy things about it to make that statement. <laughs> but I'd never be like, yeah, I like that movie. And I think I'm I'm in a different – for me, I always had really strong memories of this movie. And I've always thought of this movie very fondly. I've always hmm. felt like it's very underrated. I felt like it may be – one of Wes Craven's best films. I think visually it might be one of his best films. Cause, and Wes Craven, I, I think it was um, Miles from Show Show, made a really good point once where he called him like the Kevin Smith of horror. Because he's somebody that can like, he's more a writer than director. So as much as we like really think of things about Wes Craven, it's more the concepts and the stories than it is the actual visuals. Mm-hmm. Um so I was excited to revisit this because I had not seen it in a long time. My husband had never seen it. And it was really interesting to sit down and watch because there were – it had different strengths and weaknesses than I remembered. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So some of the things – like as a kid, I, I also found this movie really scary. Me too. But that was also because I was nine years old when I saw it. And the hero of this movie is like a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. So, and to me, any movie, especially when, when I was that age, I was always more affected by movies about kids in peril. That just naturally mm-hmm. affected me more. And so, I mean, there was that aspect to it. Uh, the politi- As I got older and thought about this movie, I understood the politics of it a little more. Um, yeah. Like, not just the Robin Hood aspect, but the kind of Reaganomics of it and everything, which I obviously didn't see when I was nine. Um but it was also – it had more problems than I remembered it having and problems that maybe I didn't see then or didn't think of then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess quick synopsis, if you will, Christine. Sure. Um, so there's this this little boy and his family is about to get evicted and Ving Rhames tells him that they should rob this house. And he's like, yeah, I'll help you rob this house. And it actually happens to be a really bad house to rob mm-hmm. because they – they put people under the stairs there. 
<laughs> yes, they do. The end. Um, so it's so you, I know you haven't seen Don't Breathe. I haven't. Yet. But when I saw the trailer for Don't Breathe, I'm like, did they remake people under the stairs? It's very. It's not to say it's very similar is is not true. But there, the lead in is similar, which right. is why I think like we're going to go break into this house, but it's not what it seems. That's yeah. really what you know the crux of Don't Breathe is. Um, so this movie is really ahead of its time in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. it um, a new movie that's extremely relevant in that regard is it has very similar like plot points uh, that which is amazing. This movie is effectively about gentrification. Oh yeah. Like it which is shocking because I never realized that obviously I was yes. a tiny kid. Yeah. Um there's also a lot of race stuff in it. Um which very relevant still there's some gender stuff in it which is obviously very relevant so i could very easily be convinced this is maybe wes craven's best movie Mm -hmm. but unlike you who focused on the good i always focus on the bad when i think of this and the bad for me is the fucking tonal shift yep that slapstick genuinely upsetting at some points and then they start doing goofy shit and it undermines everything there's so aj langer is in this movie um she is for those who don't know thank you thank you but she's the little she's a little lady protagonist and there's the little boy protagonist and and there's Dane Rames, who gets dispatched, no spoiler, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then your two bad guys, who would be from Twin Peaks. <laughs> but that's fine. So so there's the moment where they're, they're going to put A.J. Langer, or she's going to put A.J. Langer in the steaming hot bath. It is the most fucking upsetting thing in the world yep. that this woman is going to do this to this little girl. And then 10 seconds later, it's like, like, Three Stooges sound effects, people running around. Boink! Yeah. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, it's, it, that was really frustrating watching this. And sitting, watching it with my husband, who'd never seen it, it was one of those cases where I could kind of feel where it was losing him in things like yeah. that. Where the because the 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 slapstick it's not there from the beginning. No, it's really not. And if you would asked me, I would have said no. It's the whole movie. The whole movie's like that, and that's right. why I don't care for it. But it doesn't start until no. It's it I don't know. Plays like it very through? straight for a very long time. And the other thing I think the other real thing I thought watching this, I'm like, man, what a bad decision is the way the parents are introduced is Mm -hmm. this should have had build up to them because the whole thing is that they, they appear like Nancy and Ronald Reagan. When you look at them from the outside, they're this well put together couple and they speak well and all that. And the movie doesn't introduce them that way. The movie introduces them as like, Oh, that's a really good point. The first scene of the movie is basically they're about to beat AJ Langer and it's clear right off the bat that they are batshit crazy. So and there's no reveal that they're the bad guys. No, yeah. I mean, you know once they, they get into the house, yeah. you're like, oh, this isn't good. You don't know how crazy it's going to get unless you've seen the trailer or see the title as the people under the stairs. But <laughs> it, I think it's such a shame 
because I really don't understand. Like, it would have been a, just a great reveal to have them, you know, just walking into the house and uh, just as this, you know, refined, uh, handsome couple who are normal and rich and everything. The movie doesn't give you ever give you the chance for that dynamic to change. It just starts at ten. And then kind of goes to eight and then goes to 10 and then goes to five and then goes to 10. That's a good point. And I've never actually thought of that because they could have successfully made them quote unquote, the villains. And this is why we're breaking into their house because they are the landlords of the building that fool's going to get evicted from. Mm -hmm. So that makes them bad guy enough. Right. So if we did get the don't breathe kind of reveal of like, who the fuck's house did we break into? It would have been maybe a little bit more jarring. Yeah. And it's another, a really good point. Yeah. It's just another one of those cases where it feels like Wes Craven has a great idea and he has a good script and there's a lot of really good things in there and good dynamics and good themes and even good lines. But it's like he needed somebody else to come in and say, but if you move this around, like, but I think what it comes down to is you needed somebody to say, but how is this going to scare somebody? Or yeah. but, like, like it, cause there is n- just not that journey, I guess. Exactly. Like, where's your arc? Where's your rising and falling action? Tell like, tell me what I'm walking away from this movie with. Yeah. Especially because once. And then once you kind of get that, like you get, kind of a the first whatever hour 20 minutes you kind of get an ending and then it's this very odd return to the house that feels weirdly anticlimactic even though this is where you get all the crazy shit happening just because at this point you know you have fool going back into the house and now he's told all these people so all these people can come in but you know there's machinations that kind of keep things from happening right away but it just it's weird pacing and weird decisions and it's a shame because there's so much else about this that's really good and just so different from any other movie that i can think of even as far as it being a movie about like you're saying gentrification about a you know a poor black family and black community or community of color kind of getting their I won't even say revenge because it's more than that it's kind of taking back what they're kind of owed from this mm-hmm. this greedy one percenter couple who are fucked up for various reasons that the movie hints at that's kind of neat and they could have gone further into it and we find out that they're they're probably inbred and all this stuff mm-hmm. but so it's it's it was fr- it's enjoyable but it's really frustrating because there's there's just so much that doesn't quite line up that really could. Yeah. Yeah. I, if there had been somebody else in there, whether like pairing with the writing or, you know, taking over the directing, just some, somebody else in there to maybe water it down a little bit or get it back on track a little bit. It would, it could have been really amazing. Yeah. And it's special, and I think it is really special for being something really different. And it's a it's a funny time in horror because it's ninety one, yeah. so it's that you know slashers are out. Yep, post slasher, but before we got really like got into like the teen 
horror like scream and urban legend slashers yeah yeah Yeah, that that, you know in the middle of that cycle in the early 90s are a fascinating time for horror they used to get such a bad rap and i think the tide is kind of finally turning when we look back at what you got in the early 90s you had Candyman, you had the exorcist 3 like you had a lot of really different films that didn't they weren't ripping anything off because they kind of didn't have um, that one popular thing to to take off from, I guess. Exactly. And that's what there this really does. This is a fresh movie. Yep. Uh, yep. And it's still, there's. can you think of anything that's like this now? I mean, I haven't seen Don't Breathe, but Don't Breathe. <laughs> but not even, not e- but it's not even really, right. like, it, it takes that initial, like, why do they go in the house but it doesn't yeah. do anything else. Yeah, like and the that. ones that I think of, you know, if I had to do, if I had to like program something, I would probably just naturally go to other kind of like black horror movies. I would think of Tales from the Hood, maybe. Um, I mean, Candyman, kind of just in being, uh, just as far as like culturally, I guess. Yeah. Which is funny because I mean, Wes Craven is like whiter than me. Uh, but I guess that's. One of the places I think this movie kind of earns a spot in, but there's other things about it that are just different. This is a this is a like a mad funhouse movie in a way. Oh, that's a really interesting way to put it. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're trapped in a house. It's not a slasher. It is not a you know when you're like you can. I feel like some people have called it a zombie movie. It's not. The people under the stairs aren't zombies by any means. Uh, so there's you know. It, it's not like anything else and it's and it's not taking all these elements it's not you could say that about movies that are really just taking a whole lot of elements of other things that's not the case here it's really doing its own thing and one of it one of its own thing is occasionally throwing in slapstick humor that kills the effect of everything else yeah no i'm not a fan of it i i will sing this movie's praises i have officially been turned around i have seen how good it is and what it offers and why it's special I cannot get over that that the tonal shifts. Yeah. I can't. It's it's. Not, I wonder, you know. Okay, so why did he do that? Was it, you know, was it him kind of playing off of having, you know, these actors from Twin Peaks and kind of making it zany? Was it Wes Craven not trusting the horror enough? Maybe and, you know. I mean, because it's a it's a batshit movie when your villains are this middle-aged couple uh hunting a little boy in their house like there's that's a really good point i did you're making really good points well Jeez, you know Emily. i am a good you're point so smart. but the, the protagonists are two kids yeah and the bad guys are two old people well not old. they're not obviously not old but you know what i mean right. there's not a teen in sight there's no hot girl there's no like buff dude mm-hmm. i mean there is but like um right, like the uh, i mean and the other me. characters you, you get roach who's a, a skinny dude that it lives in the walls that you know it doesn't have a tongue this is a interestingly construct hey i don't know if you know this but this movie is constructed really interestingly <laughs> interestingly enough i do that that is really weird he made a lot of really strange choices yeah and I and I respect. I'm going to say the vast majority of them mm-hmm. because although although um, Roach's uh, blackness does play into the plot quite a bit, 
the character himself, it, it, he's not a caricature. It's not like no, some yeah. like offensive stereotypical like what what somebody in ninety one thought a kid living in a rundown building would be like. Right, and the, the, I think the one of this film's kid. biggest strength is Brandon Quinton Adams. Yeah. I, I think he's so good in this, and because he's, you know, I mean, he's a likable kid actor. He's he's he plays it really well. He has charm to himself, and it's you know he, they do some smart things early on, which is they get you, even though you're already on his side because he's you know he's a little kid. They have him, you know, he's doing this to save his mother. Yeah, uh, he has the chance to run away, and he doesn't. He stays and helps Ving Rhames. Like, mm-hmm. You know, th- there's a lot of just really, like, strong character choices they make with him to make him a really good protagonist. Um, and, yeah, and he is smart, and he is resourceful, and he ends up being such a great foil for these people. And, I, yeah, same thing. I don't think he's a stereotype in any way. Even, you know, the other... Ving Rhames and the other guy is kind of interesting in himself and being this white guy who's teaming up with Ving Rhames to do this, who thinks he knows how to get into the house because he knows if he puts on a service uniform, he's white, he can probably get in. And he's almost right, except he makes a mistake. Uh, But yeah, it's, and and like, I wonder when Wes Craven was making this exactly how he went about writing and portraying uh, this culture that I would assume he knew very little about. Like I would never try to write a movie set in the projects because I don't know how people that live in the projects talk. And I would feel very uncomfortable attempting to, you know, to figure that out. So I wonder exactly how he did all the research for that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, also, the thing, and you can completely correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be completely wrong, but Wes Craven wasn't, like, overly diverse, right? I mean, I know he didn't cast all his movies, I, I get that, but he wasn't, like, writing these diverse characters. Well, you so, think of what else, you know, I'm trying to think of his filmography. I guess before this, I think... um uh, Serpent and the Rainbow was probably right around this time. Oh, yeah, that's true. So maybe he was he was he was doing something. He might have been decided at some point he was interested in not in kind of looking outside of yeah, you know. But, I mean, yeah, you look at his filmography. Oh, you know what? Wow, maybe. <laughs> how do I say this in any way without making me sound anything? So he had a run. Okay, after. So let, let me try to, like, get up to where we're at. Just a deadly friend. Serpent in the Rainbow. Yep. Shocker. People Under the Stairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forget about Vampire in Brooklyn. Don't be all. I've never seen it. I just, um, I've heard, but I've never seen it. So he had, like, a I mini mean- d- mini period of deciding he wanted to put black people in his movies, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I obviously can't speak to whatever his motives would have been 
there's probably something we don't know that makes that make complete and total sense. Maybe he's a super magnanimous, wonderful guy that saw a lack of representation. Maybe he mm-hmm. saw a different community to market to. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Still, it makes for something really interesting yeah. and in hindsight, something that I appreciate quite a bit. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, because how do you go from shocker to the people under the stairs? I've never seen shocker. It's not shocking. It's like really not good. Uh, I mean, you saw the first power, so you kind of got the idea of it. <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, but true. I block that out. Try to block that out. Take the first power and take fallen and mix them together, I and then like fallen. poop a tiny bit in there, like just a tiny no. bit, and then you kind of have shocker. You ruined it. <laughs> I did trust me. It, it's not. That, that's about as good as the movie. It's really not. Good. <laughs> um, some interesting tidbits on this movie. So Kelly Jo Mintner plays uh, Fool's sister. Now, did you recognize her? She is. She oh, she has. She has. She is um, known to me for some being some for something very special. She she did a lot of movies around this time, a lot of horror movies, including Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Okay. She's the swimmer in that one. Um, and Popcorn. Uh, I don't ever remember Popcorn. I've seen okay. it twice, though, but I don't remember it. Well, here's what I find really interesting. So three horror movies, like and very, you know, horror movies aimed at that younger audience, like the, your typical kind of horror audience. And she is a black woman. Uh, playing kind of a teenager, lives in all three of them. Oh. Well, good for her. I always found that very impressive on her part. And I wonder if she was just like, they're not going to kill me. They're trying, but they're not going to do it. Um, she just she would just get up and start talking and seeing. Yeah, right. She's like, like oh, no, I you guess. can put the blood on me, but I'm not doing my death scene because I'm not dying. <laughs> Kelly Jo Mittner, don't die. Uh, and really fun fact, uh, apparently... When they were first deciding on the character of Roach, who's the um, oh, the actor, the character actor whose name I can never remember, but who was Sean on the Whale? Got Milk commercials. Yes, Sean Whalen. Uh, they were looking at both female and male actors. They hadn't quite decided what they were doing with the character. Interesting. You want to know who auditioned? Who? Hilary Swank. Awesome. Yeah. I would see that, I right? Okay. I would have been okay if it was a lady character, but they were telling a story yeah, that and all the boys were, ended up. And once they yeah. get to kind of revealing that, right, everybody under the stairs is a boy because finally they decided we need a girl because they're going to behave more. It, you know, it kind of wouldn't have made sense to have a female, another female in, in there. They would have had to change that whole thing. So, right. Yeah. Cool. Then it wouldn't have just been one little viper in my bosom, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, I also really like that uh, in, like, every movie that usually stars a kid, for whatever reason, the movie rarely gives the kid top billing. <laughs> and this movie does. In the opening credits, the first person listed yeah, is did, Brandon Quinton You know what? I noticed that, too. Yeah. Which I just appreciate, because he is the star of this movie. He is absolutely the absolutely. hero, and he is in most of it. And I like yep. that the movie acknowledges that. So, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I like it. And I like it more than so much else of when you're kind of making, I think, like, it's a good one to put on a lot of different lists, if you will. 
yeah. when you're trying to give somebody something different, uh, when you're looking at 90s horror films, I think you have to include it. Um, mm-hmm. It's when you're looking at, you know, I think it, this movie got a little attention like the last year or so because it had a big release. And after Wes Craven died, you know, people were going back to a lot of his films. And I think when you go back to this one, especially if you've never seen it or haven't seen it in a long time, you do kind of think, wow, this is so different and there's so much in it that's really interesting Yeah, that it has been more celebrated lately, which I think is great. I just wish the movie was a little better. A little bit. Yeah. Just that it made some, you know, it, it's the decisions, some of the decisions it makes that just really hurt what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And it, like, and again, when we compare it to Silver Bullet and saying how Silver Bullet feels like, you know, who is it aimed at? This one kind of, I think you could look at similarly. Yeah, it's, definitely. Yeah. It, it, it goes, it toggles between absolutely terrifying and disturbing and like goofy as fuck. Yeah. And there's one thing that I caught that I never, I mean, I just wouldn't have noticed it, I think, as a kid. But there is, you know, well, for whatever reason, um, Everett McGill's character, when he's, like, around the house hunting, he's wearing a full-out S&M outfit. Which, eh, whatever. It's it's a cool sight thing. Um, I think that also lost Brandon. He's like, it's just too much. Uh, whatever with that. That's a choice. I get it. But there is a, a scene where they have um, A.J. Langer's character has now been sent up to the attic. And she is like handcuffed and tied up there just like left hanging and you know they haven't figured out what they're doing with her yet and the you know uh daddy or the man whatever you want to call the character uh comes up is like here's something so you see there's a shot where you see her and she's in front of you and she's tied up and you see him in the background and he's just kind of walking in as if he's going to look around but then he stops because he doesn't hear anything and there is a moment very very subtle moment he touches his crotch oh really yeah and it's it's a weird thing and it doesn't not make sense because you know what we know of these characters is that they are brother and sister Mm. we don't know if they are having sex it's not clear they present themselves as husband and wife but they're also present they're also very religious so it's very hard to tell what their relationship actually is. Um, and it's a, just a weird thing to introduce. I guess you didn't, you didn't notice it. So maybe I didn't notice it. Yeah. I might be overthinking it. Um, but it was just something that once I saw it, it kind of went into that again. And I started to think was, you know, if you're going to do that and they don't do much, they don't do anything that would make, in a way, if you were a little kid watching it, like you wouldn't notice that and you wouldn't then have to have a deep conversation with your parent about that. Yeah. But the fact that they put it in there makes this character even more disturbing. And again, it's just this weird thing where I don't know what level of fear I'm supposed to have of this man. Hmm. I would um, actually watch it again specifically looking for that subtext because mm-hmm. I am not surprised by you saying that because I also kind of just assumed that that's something that would, could, or might be happening. Right. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense. So 
something in there that that I was already like, well, yeah, that's part of the narrative. Right. But it's right. not part of the narrative. But in my head, it's got, it's been suggested in some way by something in that movie, whether something they say or don't say, that that's that's something completely possible that that may happen or already is happening. Yeah. I, oh, and I think it's definitely there. I think you could you could not not look for it and not see it if you don't want to. But I yeah. think absolutely, if you decide, let me watch for it, you're going to see it. Mm. And it's, you know, I don't know that it needed to be applied. It would have been really uncomfortable. It would have taken this to a very different place. But again, but then you think of Nightmare on Elm Street. And one of the things that I think is always fascinating in the discussion of that series is how Freddy Krueger was a child molester and child killer. Yes. But the only movies that really say that are the remake and Freddy vs. Jason, kind of. Mm-hmm. They never... Wes Craven very introduces this character as... And yeah, he'd be... You know, they just, but again, they only call him a child killer. But... You yeah, know, there's always the implication. There's the implication, but it seems to kind of be very, very reluctant to go there. And I get it because again, this is a movie that ended up being a very commercial movie aimed at teenagers. It's a much harder sell if you're dealing with child molestation in your horror movie. But it's interesting that like Craven always kind of stays back from that. Yeah. And this is definitely yeah. a movie where it's it, it could be there. Mhm. But he doesn't push it, and maybe that's for the best, or maybe it would have been a deeper, more disturbing movie if he did. I don't know. There's a lot oh. of what ifs about this movie in terms there of like. There are a lot of what ifs decisions. about it. Like how how different would it have played if that was a conscious choice? Yep. How different would it have played if we removed some of the the weird sight gags and the goofiness yep. and just really leaned into the, the horror yeah. of, of mutilating and, and, and basically turning children into cannibals. Like, yeah, that's, there's some, intense. there's some dark shit and maybe that was on purpose. Maybe he's like, wow, there's some dark shit in this movie. I better lighten it up. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was. But, you know, you're making a horror movie, dude. Hey, I get it. Yeah, or maybe after Shocker, he was like, I don't know if if I'm that scary a director. So maybe let me throw things in there to that kind of save me from if it doesn't scare people, then it's not seen as a failure. Then it's seen as you could look at it as a kind of zany comedy. This was a dark comedy, yeah. Because, I mean, and I mean, you can kind of say that's how... You can look at Everett McGill and Wendy Roby's performances and say they're they're playing it for camp. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, her especially, who's, um, you know, has the Joan Crawford hairdo and is just so theatrical in how she's playing it. It, you know, you could look at it as this character is 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 that way, or you can look at it as well. She's giving it a little bit of a wink so that it is something kind of broader and yeah yeah, it's 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 a weird thing um i have the dvd i I didn't listen to the commentary i didn't have time but i should because now i'm really curious yeah you definitely should let me know yeah uh and again this is as much as you know 
I've had to I've had to look at so many different threads complaining about remakes in the last week. Uh, this is another movie where I'm like, you could remake this. You could totally yeah, remake this. shit out of it. Yeah, I yep. mean, it is timing is perfect to remake this. Look at society. Look at everything going on. It is mm-hmm. very relevant just in terms of subject matter, and you could do some really cool things, and you could. You know, then make a decision whether you were making a horror movie or a black comedy horror movie. Exactly. If you leaned into either one, it could still be successful. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it, I mean, it's one of those fascinating, flawed pieces of, of like, recent cinema history, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Andrew, it, I'm... I'm very glad I rewatched it. I'm also glad we got to talk about it so much because it is. Yeah, me too. It's exciting to me that you and I ended up in the same place on this. I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because I know cause I mean, somebody just put up this. I think in Gentleman's Guide group, saying like, "What an underrated gem this is," kind of thing, and it launched into a conversation. And it, it's one of those cases where it's it's you know it's more than that because it's. It is a gem, but it is such a rough, it's such a rough gem. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah. not it's not this perfect find. Nope, it's nope. not like the why isn't anybody talking about this? Like there are reasons. It's not why the people Exorcist like Three it. to me. That's on my list too for this month. Oh, I'm so excited for you to watch I've it. You've never seen it. seen it, right? Turn off the lights and watch it like in one sitting. You actually have to turn off. Okay, I'm saying this like at Wait, first time like. On. Is Exorcist 3 the one with Lori Laughlin? No. Which one is Lori Which Laughlin? Which one's that? No, Exorcist Wait. 3 is George C. Scott. And... Lori Laughlin's not in any of them. What? <laughs> Maybe I just made that up. I think my dad once <laughs> fixed Lori Laughlin's uh, copier, by the way. Oh, neat. Side note. Yeah, she lived in Long Island for a while. Um, no, who's in Exorcist 3 is the old lady who's in the Sentinel, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, there's... um. I think there's an old lady who was in the Sentinel in the Exorcist Three. Uh, Fabio has a co- has a cameo. Then I don't think I've seen it. No, but it's George C. Scott, um, Brad Dorif, Jason Miller, uh, Scott yeah, Wilson. What the fuck am I thinking of? I'm gonna have to look at Laurie Laughlin's um, filmography to figure out what I'm thinking of. <laughs> you will. But more importantly, when you watch The Exorcist Three, I do mean this. Watch it quietly with the like, and that's a it's a little long. I think it's like just under two hours. So make sure you watch that on one of those nights when like you're actually gonna like watch and not uh, watch it and finish it and not, not text because or- it has one of like the best jump scares of any movie ever. And I don't okay, want, I'll take your word for it. I don't want and you I to will, see it. I will give it. I will give it respect and reverence. Okay, I will be disappointed okay. if you don't. I will. Okay, I'm also looking through Lori Laughlin's filmography. Uh, and aside from the many, we have to make sure that we do one of her Lifetime or ABC Family movies this uh, Christmas. Um, I do not know what horror movie you well, are. I'll have to of. look at it. I don't even know if I'm thinking of the right person. Amityville 3D. Oh, you're probably thinking Amityville 3D. Is she in that? She is. She plays Susan Baxter. <laughs> there you go. That's you were probably thinking, thinking another blank three. So you were thinking Amityville three and not The Exorcist three. Respectfully, that was pretty close. Exactly. <laughs> the Exorcist, Amityville. Same amount of syllables. There you go. Got it. Similarish. Not really. But you know what I mean. Amityville. 
the Exorcist. See, that must have been what it was. Yeah. We should rate this movie. Well then, quality of film. Ah, oh, too hard. I can't rate this movie. <laughs> Some parts of it are like a 7.5 or an 8. Some parts of it are like a 5. So I think I'm going to have to say like a 7? Yeah, for quality of film, um, I'll go 6.75. Yeah, I don't know. I could easily be swayed to, to, to go higher or lower, but yeah. Yeah, it's a tough um, one. But I think, I mean, again, it's it's better than a lot of horror movies, but it has a lot of problems. Um, yeah, I'm like wavering between a 6.75 and a 7. Yeah, I'm Six right point, in this one. Uh, 6.88 6 and 7 eighths Alright I, I, I second that though. Awesome I like the way you think Now quality of life 8 7.75 Yeah Because yep. I, I enjoy it It's a special little thing It's uh, very interesting Yeah it's It just has its problems but we definitely encourage everybody to watch it and come and discuss them with us on the Feminine Critique podcast uh, page, Facebook page stuff. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Uh, so, do you remember what your? I remembered it. You remembered it. Okay. Instant watch recommends as we move on to the so, future. This very well could have been something you recommended, but I don't remember. Um <laughs> Uh, Housebound? No. Have you seen Housebound? Uh, you know, okay. I, I've seen part the first half of it and I enjoyed it and I just couldn't, had some timing stuff that threw it off. But I've heard good, but I, it's good. I loved it. Yeah. It's fun. I loved it. Loved yeah. it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Good. Just so good. Yeah. Horror comedy ish, right? Definitely, but like definitely a cousin to like a Shaun of the Dead. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like, but like really successful and not at all like like a it's not a rip off it doesn't seem hollow it's got a, it's it's a cousin in the sense that it's it is gory humorous scary and has a lot of heart like it's really genuine so i loved it nice um and that's on netflix i believe right that is on netflix excellent yeah. uh, i mean it was last week so hopefully it still is <laughs> uh mine is i'm going back to the amazon well on this one uh, and I am going with, I didn't know it was on Amazon Prime, but it is. And if you have not seen Splinter, you should. Wait, Splinter, like in the little convenience store? Yeah. Oh, you! that was on my list and I couldn't find it anywhere. I swear it wasn't streaming when I checked. Oh, I swore it was when yeah. I happened to no, look I at Amazon Prime. I trust you. Oh, now I trust you have you me not trusting myself. This was like three weeks ago that I was trying to find everything on my list and see where it was available. So I trust yeah. you, and I'm so excited. I might watch that tonight. You should do it. Yeah, it is on there. Amazon Prime on Splinter. Uh, no, Splinter on Amazon Prime. This is if you have you you've seen it before, right? I love it so much. It's so good. Uh, it's so good. It, it's just a very good little modern monster movie confined to a convenience store. Uh, it it has such a good. Like it, it's like primarily four actors. Shea Wiggum is one, and I love Shea Wiggum. Uh-huh. And it's a case where it's just like, wow, look at 
you're taking a pretty simple setup for a movie. You're granted you're giving it really good special effects, but look at how much it pays to have interesting characters played by good actors. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's in, this movie is just so much better than if you gave the same script to somebody else to make. I think. Uh, yeah, it's it's really an accomplishment. If memory yeah. serves, it really is like feat of strength. It's it's. I remember really loving it. Yeah, like just the little things they do, like the the main female character, they make her like really. I mean, she's really like badass, but it's very it's believable. Um, mm-hmm. Shea Wiggum is so good, and his uh, the way of course he, he is. Inter- I mean, he always is. But he just is so much more interesting a character than you had to have here. And it's just really good. And it's on Amazon Prime. And it's another one of those movies that kind of flew under the radar, came out in 2008. So it was kind of before, in a way, it was before, like, Netflix boom of it being very easy to Mm -hmm. recommend stuff where, like, everybody in the horror community watched everything at the same time. Um, Yeah. So I feel like this one kind of got missed by a lot of people, but it's really good. Uh, so that's good. my recommend. Um, now we will. We're, we know what we're covering next. Before we do, before we I do. forget, wanted to mention um, if you want to hear me talk more, uh, I was a guest star on a little podcast known as Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Did you? I didn't know that. Yeah, I think the episode just went live today. Uh, so if you look in your feed today, you-, you will find it. Cover. Oh, what do you think we covered, Christine? I know. Tell me. Stuck by my doctor. <laughs> the return. Ah, Isn't uh, that a fun show to do? It's a very fun show to do. Uh, that Doug has energy. He is a sassy man. He really is. I love him. Yeah. No, a, just a fantastic time. Uh, so you, uh, you can all go check that out. It's a good time. Uh, and then, Christine, do you remember what we said we're covering on the next episode? Um, we're definitely covering Bone Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. And is the other one called Goodnight Mommy? It is, yes. I couldn't remember what it was called. I knew it was something mommy. <laughs> I, what's funny is I have like a huge block on the title of this movie because I watched it shortly after I watched a Lifetime movie called Wake Up Mommy or Don't Wake Mommy. <laughs> and so I get – I know it's Don't Wake Mommy and Goodnight Mommy – and I always mix them up in my head, so I never know which one I'm talking about. And they're two very different movies. One I imagine they would movie be. And all. Um, but yeah, so these are two movies that was on Christine's list. And both of them are on Amazon Prime. So we will be covering Ooh. both of them soon. It will be exciting. I'm uh, excited. Yeah. And uh, on that note, we hope our audio was good enough for you people with your high standards. Did you just, I tried not to. I tried not to move around a lot. So did you just noise fart on purpose? Yes. Good. That's that's my girl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right. right. But so to uh, communicate with us, please come to the Facebook page of the Feminine Critique. And mm-hmm. uh, with that said, have a happy this part of October until we get to more parts of October, because we're probably coming back in October. So Who knows? October. 